I made this so hard for you all last weekend, and I thought if I had color-coded this, this would have been easier. So pull out your long sheet that's color-coded and filled in, and pull out the one that's the color-coded short sheet that says Daniel chapter 7. And we're just going to look at that real, real quick because we're in at the end of chapter 7. So what I did was I color-coded this. There's a little key at the top, and it says that I've... I've taken every, all the verses in Daniel chapter 7, this is the entire chapter on these two pages, and I've color-coded them as to whether they were happening in heaven. If they're happening in heaven, it, they're blue. And if they're happening, as in sky, blue sky, that's what that meant. And if they're happening on earth, they're green, as in green grass. And if they're symbolic, they're in red. Okay. So the first step in trying to evaluate or understand a prophecy is to do this. Either, you know, print it off of your software or go through your Bible and put little brackets or something. But mark it in a way that you can tell where exactly the prophecy is happening. If it's, a, if it's an interpretation, it needs to be in blue or green, right? Because it's either going to happen on earth or in heaven. And if it's symbolic make it make it red or whatever color you want then what we did last week together was we transferred these verses onto this long sheet so the long sheet the first strip is heaven the bottom strip down here in green is earth and the middle strip was the symbolic stuff okay and so all we did was sort those verses out into these these strips and we organized them by column according to their topic. So you can see all the verses that we found relating to Beast 1 were in the Beast 1 column. And all the verses relating to Beast 2 were in the Beast 2 column. And so forth and so on across the page. Alright? Is that at all clear? Any questions so far? Because it's important to just understand what we're doing. And the whole reason we go to that much trouble is so that at the end of the day, when we've got this sheet filled out, we can then go look column by column and say, okay, here's all the information we have about Beast One. What happens on Earth? What happens in Heaven? What were the symbols associated with Beast One? And then at the very bottom in black, we would put where we see it actually happening historically. Okay? So... That's what we're trying to do. What we did last week was we went through all of the symbolic part of chapter 7. And we're now on the second page of Daniel chapter 7. So use the color-coded version today. So we'll talk about it together. So on the second page of Daniel chapter 7, at the top is a box. And then there's a little piece that's not in a box that says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind. Kept him awake at night. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's where we're starting today. Okay. So then he, what Daniel does is he approaches an angel uh, there near him. I, I'm going to call them angels. It doesn't really say what they were, that he, who he was talking to, but generally it was an angel. All right. So this is the part in Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel turns and says, somebody tell me what's going on. All right. And the angel says, uh, okay. And the angel says in verse 17, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. And, I've, and so that just tells you four kings will arise from the earth. It's in green. It's on the earth. It's in box 29. Okay. It's just about how they arise. So I'm not going to go through how each verse, you know, makes it to this page. I just want to make sure you understand how it made it to the page. So that you can replicate this on your own as you're, as you're trying to study prophecy. And we'll use this same technique as we go through all of the prophecies because it makes it very easy to see when you hit a piece that doesn't fit. Okay? And we're going to hit a piece that doesn't fit next week or seems to not fit next week and, and we'll, because we're going to hit a pretty controversial chapter next week. And we'll have to decide what to do with that piece of information. All right. And I will give you two interpretations of that um, because there's one that's extremely popular that I personally think is wrong. (laughs) But you need to know it because, I mean, it's it's popular enough. It made it into the NIV footnotes, you know, so it's like a lot of people really think that. And then 
you know, there's another interpretation that we'll go over, and then you can decide, okay, um, on your own. So anyway, what happens in, in, at the end of Chapter 7 is a, an interpretation that says, let's go to uh, verse 18, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So between verse 17 and verse 18, you skipped all the rest of history. Okay? Verse 17 said, The great beasts will arise from the earth. And we know from our previous studies that those four beasts represented four kingdoms that started with Nebuchadnezzar. And then in verse 18 he says, But don't worry about those four kingdoms because in the end, the saints are going to inherit all of the kingdoms. The kingdom with a big K. Alright? So he skipped completely to the end of time. Well, that's, we know that that's been the theme of Daniel from everything we've studied so far. That's what all of these visions in Daniel are about. They take us from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the second coming of Christ. Okay? So it's, 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 it doesn't bother us that he skipped, but by doing this grid like this, we're able to see that verse 17 went way over here in box 29 in this very first column about the earth, whereas verse 18 goes all the way over on the other side in box 34. Okay? So you can see the time differentiation. And that's hard to pick up if you're just reading the prophecy through chronologically. Okay? So here's a, he used a term, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom. He used the term saints, and, and I gave you a handout on saints, because I want, saints are used as a term throughout Revelation, Daniel, the Bible, everywhere. So we, we, need, to, we need to look at, at the saints. All right. Okay. So when we look at saints, it's a term worth looking into, because this is a group of people that's referred to several times. The, there are several Hebrew forms of this word. And what I've, all at one set comes from a root that is kasad. And that's the first little box that I've put on here. This is, you know, very kind of technical looking definitions. But this is what a word definition would look like in Strong's Dictionary. All right. So when I get to a word that I want to understand more in my software, I'll click on it and it'll take me to definitions like this. And if you look at the at the bottom of that box, it says the root word means it's a primitive root per, properly, perhaps to bow. OK. In courtesy as an equal. You think of like the Japanese bow, you know, um, that is to be kind uh, to uh, show yourself merciful, to put to shame. And that, that's the root of the word that's used. The word that's actually used is H2623, which means kind, pious, saintly. Okay? That, that word is not the word used here. Okay? In Daniel. That, this word that we just defined is the word people tend to think of when they think of saints. And that's the word that we all never think we can measure up to. <laughs> you know? um, but the word that's used in Daniel is the second word from the root Kadash. And this set of words means to be sacred. So if you look down that middle part, starting with H6918, the actual word means sacred, either ceremonially or morally. It, it can be God, an angel, a saint, a sanctuary, it's, it's holy is what that, that word means, okay? That kind of saint. Not a good man kind of saint. It means holy set apart. Remember we talked about holy last week. 69.22 is the Chaldean word, the Aramaic word, that corresponds to 69.18, to the Hebrew word. And remember that we're in a chapter that's written in Aramaic, okay? So these are the same word. All right. It's just that the Aramaic word is used less often because not much of the Bible is written in Aramaic. Okay, but it's the same meaning of the word. Then you go down to uh, 6944, which is a, a related Hebrew word. 
basically means the same thing as a sacred, but it's talking about a sacred place as opposed to a sacred person. And all three of those words, which are the three Hebrew versions, three versions of this word used in the Old Testament, come from a root word that means to be clean, consecrated, undefiled, purified. Okay, so the sense that you're getting of saint here is someone who has been purified as we are purified through Christ. Okay. Uh, yes, the H stands for Hebrew, and these word definitions. As in the book of the Bible. No, as in the language. All right. Okay. So, in, when you see a Strong's dictionary, um, the the number is they've numbered every word in the Bible. Okay. Okay. And so every and they even do the A's and the V's and the this that's and the others, you know. But but they they have numbered every single word in the Bible, and so. The, there's a, the software will, will take you from the King James or the American, there's two versions of it, but will take you from the word to, and it'll pop you right into the Hebrew definition of the word. But what it doesn't do and what I have a hard copy of this dictionary is in the hard copy, I can actually look up the word, the, the English word like saint. And then it will give me every single verse in the Bible in order, and in the margin it will tell me which of these words is being used. It'll give me the word number. So, huh? No, this is Strong's that I use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Kodesh. I don't know. There's, there are places, locations in the Bible that they named Kadesh or Kodesh, Kadesh Barnea, Barnea, you know, remember that one? Okay. So some of these Hebrew words, as we get to understanding it, like Bethel, some of these words, you'll, you'll begin to recognize the meaning that was attached to that name of that place in the Bible. And then to follow on to Lenora's comment, if you look down at the bottom of the page, it says G40, Hagias, G standing for Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so when the word saint is used in the New Testament, it's the word hagias. And they only have one word for, for saint in the, in the Greek. And it, but it means the sacred, you know, the sacred, pure version, just like it's being used here in Daniel. Then I drew you a picture on the second page of the handout. That's good. <laughs> I tell you what, the class was growing. We're going to be dropping like flies now. <laughs> yeah, still interesting. I, 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 I've been using Strong's. So you can relate to this. That was the smartest thing I've done, even though I haven't. Yeah, well, it's a big book. You don't want to hold it on your lap for long. (laughs) So what I've done for you is in these circles, I've shown you that the circle on the left is the Jews. The circle on the right is the Gentiles. There are Jews who reject the Messiah and who perish unsaved. There are Gentiles who reject the Messiah and perish unsaved. The saints are that overlap in the middle. These are the people who are chosen by God and set apart to him. We, even as Gentiles, are chosen by God. Through Christ, we got adopted into the chosen people. All right? And if you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about that. And so we are also chosen now because we, be, through Christ, we have been chosen and made holy. And the saints include not only Jews and Gentiles, it includes Jews who, who accept him on the very last day that we're going to be studying about. It includes Jew, Messianic Jews who accept him in our day and age. It includes the entire Christian church who are really believers. And, and um, you know, just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you are. Just as, you know, I could call myself anything and if I didn't really believe it, it doesn't matter what I call myself, right? But, but it includes the real Christian church, all right? And basically all the believers in Jesus Christ, all the ones who through Jesus Christ have been chosen, th- those are the saints. Because those are the only ones who have been made holy, okay? So it's a bigger group than the church. And when we get to Revelation, there'll be things that are prophesied about the church, 
there will be things that are prophesied about the saints. So we need to understand the difference in the two populations. All right. So here in Daniel, we're talking about the saints. And what he says is the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. And that's sometimes a surprise to people. You know, it's like you think that you're going to go to heaven and Jesus is going to, you know, reign forever in heaven. And that's all. But that's not what the Bible says. I mean, he is going to reign in heaven forever, but he's also going to reign on earth forever. And we're going to reign with him. We are with him in that reigning. The kingdom belongs to us. <laughs> so then we, we go on to verse 19 on your, on your page here of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we're, we're back on the stapled handout for Daniel chapter 7. Back to the scripture. Second page. Just keep it on the second page because we're just going to kind of walk through. It is verse 19. No, it's in order. 17, 18, 19. The boxes, the little box numbers have to do with this grid. I, I think I'm confusing y'all hopelessly. But, okay. Okay. It is early in the morning. Okay. All right. So, so then you see this red box in the middle. It's in red because it. The only thing Daniel talks about here is the symbolic stuff he's already seen. He says, yeah, 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 you know, angel, I, I, I know about the beast. I know about the saints. I want to know about the fourth beast. He said, that one scared the heck out of me. I want to know what that means. And what does that horn mean that came up out of, his, out of that fourth beast and uprooted three of the other horns? And what, what was all that about? And, and he said, and besides that, I noticed something new at the very end of that box. He says, I, as Daniel is, is, it's like this vision is happening while he's still standing there talking to the angel. And he says, I'm talking to the angel. I'm telling him about this fourth beast that I want to know about. And something else happened. What happened was the, that horn that grew up started making war on the saints. And it was winning. And, I, and Daniel says, I want to know what that is. I want to know about that. And then he said, but then the Ancient of Days, who we learned last week is God, came and sat. And we saw the verses where the, the court was seated and the books were opened. And here we have some new information. It says what was that, that God was judging between the saints and the fourth beast. And God judged in favor of the saints. So up to that point, that fourth beast and the ele- that 11th horn were overpowering the saints. But when God passed judgment, the beast was slain. And it says, at the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. And if you go down to verse 23, it's still in green. It says, thus he said, The fourth beast, this is the angel talking to Daniel, explaining the fourth fourth beast. He says the fourth beast is going to be a fourth kingdom on earth, and it's going to be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, tread it down, and crush it. So this is not in red. This is not symbolic. This is really going to happen on earth. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another, an eleventh one, will arise after them, and will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. And if you keep on going, he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And this is the one horn. The eleventh horn is the one, only one that had a mouth. Remember, he had eyes like a man and a mouth that made great boasts against God. And Daniel was just could not believe what that horn was saying. And he really wanted to wait and see what God was going to do to that horn because he knew something was going to have to change here because that horn was not going to be allowed to make those boasts for a long time. And here it tells us how long. It says this 11th horn will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And what that, you know what, it doesn't say what times or what laws. But we count our calendar now from the birth of Christ. And I think when this 11th horn comes, he's not going to let that go. And I think that he will begin a movement. He will begin a movement to change some kind of time. But that's what I think 
it is going to happen. You know, that's just just me speculating at that point. But but you need to watch out. Now, it doesn't say he's successful in doing that, but it says he starts that movement to make that happen. But we, that needs to be a flag. Yeah, that needs to be a flag to us, though, if we're alive at that time that this 11th horn, this king rises up. This is one way we will be able to recognize him. Okay. If we couldn't already. Then it says, and they, that he's talking about the saints, the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now, we've run into the word time before in one of our earlier chapters. We, it was in chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar was going to become like a beast for seven times, till seven times passed over him. Remember that? And, and we knew that from looking at the underlying Aramaic word, that the word itself in Strong's, it says technically a year. Okay? But it has been known to be used for other periods of time. It really just means a period of time. What we can't tell from this context is whether it's a year or not. But until we find out otherwise, we're going to assume it's a year. Okay? And, and so what he's saying is a time... That's one year, right? Mm-hmm. Times, that's two years, and half a time. Three and a half years. Okay? Says. <laughs> <laughs> that's what your footnote says. Well, good. I must not be totally wrong. But, but uh, just keep in mind that this particular passage doesn't say three and a half years, but it appears to say three and a half years. And we're going to see other... You know, if this, is, if this prophecy is as important as it appears to be, we're going to run across it again. It will maybe in a different form. It may be worded a different way. But we surely will run across this again in our studies. All right. So just keep this. This is just building the foundation so for us to have confidence as we move forward. Then uh, we're to the blue box at the bottom of the page. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away annihilated and destroyed forever. So here the angel is telling, this is the interpretation, the angel is telling Daniel that the saints are going to be given into the hand of that 11th king for three and a half years and then the Ancient of Days will sit in judgment. So this defines the period of time during which the saints are going to be overpowered. That period of time is given a term by people, it's called the Great Tribulation. Okay, tribulation just means a period of great distress. And that's the period that we're talking about here. When people talk about that, they're trying to refer to prophecies that talk about that period of time. Okay. So at the end of that three and a half years, the court's going to sit for judgment and the dominion, the right to rule of that 11th king will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then. The, the sovereignty, the, that's the kingship, the dominion, the right to rule, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Now, look at that closely. It's given to the people of the saints. Okay, it didn't say it was given to the saints. The saints, it already said, are going to rule with Christ. All right? But what it's saying is... The world, remember that that fourth beast was a world kingdom, right? And that 11th king came and was the last great ruler of the, of the world kingdom. Well, yeah, we're going to fill in, We're going to keep filling in, filling in as we go through Revelation. But I just want you to notice here that the sequence of events is we have a world kingdom, has 10 kings. The 11th king comes up, you know, takes over the world. Three and a half years, he has complete control of the world, including the saints. The end of three and a half years, the, the saints are given the kingdom, the sovereignty. You know, they, they rule with Christ. We saw that earlier. But the, whole, the greatness of the kingdom, that, that means the whole, you know, run of the kingdom, the, the benefit of the kingdom, the good parts of the kingdom, okay, of that world empire are given to the people of the saints. Right. So there, there are people involved here other than the saints. How's that? Because there's people in the world now that are other than the well, saints. It's already talked about judgment. 
that the judgment was not of the people. The judgment was of that fourth beast. Oh, okay. So okay. are you saying that the people who are on earth and alive at the time of the tribulation, they're the ones that are going to remain on earth? Yes. The saints are going to be in heaven. The saints will be on earth ruling. There's a yeah. second chance, kind of thing. Yeah. They're yeah. Earth dwellers. yeah, they're earth dwellers. They are, you know, to have a king, to, for a king to have a kingdom, he has to have people or something to rule. Pardon me? I, I am assuming, because of what, what we looked at the definition of saints, all right, that the saints were the ones that were saved and the people are the unsaved. Okay. Okay. These are just the people. It's like we just because we're saints doesn't mean we're not Gentiles. It, just because we're holy doesn't mean that we're not Americans and subject to whatever national disaster may befall us for our collective apostasy. Right. Okay. Um, and, and that's how I am reading what it says. Okay is that there are people on earth, there will continue to be people on earth, this is not the end of the world yet. Okay? Uh, the, the, in fact, the world does not end for quite a long time after this. The second coming of Christ is not the end of the world. Okay? And we'll learn that very clearly as we go through Revelation. We'll see that there's a whole lot more to happen after Christ comes a second time. So what we're talking about is what changes at the point that Christ comes the second time. Okay? And we, we rule with him, and we're ruling the people of the earth. And the people of the earth get the world back from that 11th horn, is what this says. Okay? But this time, instead of being under a wicked king, they're under the, the rulership of Christ and the saints. Things will be better. Okay? Um, And then it says, his kingdom, talking about Christ, will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So you can see that we as saints will have dominions, okay, we'll have kingdoms that we rule over, but we will all worship God. It, it does not say specifically here, but if you back up, I would change it to Christ on the basis of the top of this page, the very top of this page. In fact, back up to the bottom of the first page, the blue part. Okay. Yeah, the Son of Man came in the clouds. He was presented to the Ancient of Days. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, that's the blue part. That's what was happening in heaven. And what we just now finished reading about is what, you know, how that worked out on earth. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> you can do it anyway. <laughs> you can do it anyway. Uh, what about those who've been dead in Christ and rise again? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're going to, they that's don't talk right. about that here. Okay. okay? So when we get to that part, we're going to talk about that part. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll never get done. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to, we finished Daniel chapter 7. We should have recognized, pull out your Daniel chapter 2 page. It's a one page, multicolored scripture sheet. I'm sincerely hoping, hoping that if you weren't asleep through all the previous lessons that you recognized parts of Daniel chapter 2 being discussed in Daniel chapter, in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 1. I mean, chapter 7. So what, what, we, what I did was I took Daniel chapter 2 and just filled in the corresponding pieces on our big grid. So if you look at the grid, there are rows for Daniel chapter 7 and there's rows for Daniel chapter 2. Okay, and hopefully, I know a lot of you did this on your own last week. So, in Daniel chapter 2, the verses that are, that are helpful begin at verse 31, where it says, You, O king, were looking and beheld, and behold, there was a great statue. That statue was large and of extraordinary splendor, standing in front of you. Its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of gold. That was the first beast. So, you can see in the symbolic part in, in box... Four, no, 16, you can see head of gold. And then as we work our way across the, the sheet to the left, you see 
the, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, and then you see the description of the fourth beast, okay, as we move across. And then you see uh, on the very farthest part, you see that that's the stone cut without hands struck the speed of the statue, utterly pulverized it, the statue's blown away. And the stone becomes a great mountain, and the stone we know to be Jesus Christ becomes a great mountain, fills the whole earth. Again, this is just more reference to Jesus' rule of the whole earth. Okay? So when we go through the, the interpretation, we know that he said that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, that there is a second kingdom inferior to the first, a third kingdom that ruled the whole earth, the, you know, the fourth kingdom that came and crushed and shattered all things, okay, having the toughness of iron, but its feet were iron and clay. And then we see that in the verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2, you see a verse that we may have kind of glossed over before, but now begins to come into more focus. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. So what that tells us is, and it's in blue, because any time that dominion is given, rulership changes hands on earth, that authority comes straight from God. It is from heaven. And so that's in blue because the changing of that dominion from the fourth beast to the saints is an action that happens in heaven. It's carried out on earth, but the authority is given in heaven. So when we, when we look, now let's just take a look at the grid. Let's put all our other papers away and just look at the grid and talk about what we see. I'm going to start on the very first column, and instead of looking crossways, which is what we're, we've been doing as we've been filling it out, we're going to start looking column by column and talking about it. So in the first column, I've labeled it's the stirring up. And we see the stirring up being mentioned symbolically in chapter 7, where the winds of heaven, this is in box 8, the winds of heaven churn up the sea and four beasts arise from the sea. And then we can see by looking at this grid, if you look down the first column, you see the green. We already know that's been interpreted for us as four kings will arise from the earth. Okay. So then we move to the next column, beast one. And we see that beast one, something happens in heaven. And what happens in heaven, according to chapter two, is God gives Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom, power, strength and glory. And he's given rule over all men, beasts and birds. And then we see the symbolic discussion of Nebuchadnezzar, where he's, he's called a, ling, a lion with wings of an eagle. The wings are torn off. He stands up like a man, and he gets the heart of a man. He is a king that started out like a beast, but became man-like. And you have to remember, when you're looking at symbols, the symbol is the spiritual view of what's happening physically. And spiritually, when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, when God looked at Nebuchadnezzar, he saw a pagan and a beast. But through Daniel's agency and witness, Nebuchadnezzar came to know God. He became changed from being a beast to becoming manlike in God's eyes. Mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for a while and behaved like a beast until what? Until when? What was what stopped that? Huh? He when he finally humbled himself before God. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's sin was pride. All right, and he set himself up as God, as equal to God. Great as God, he had done everything. Beat his chest, you know. And, and, and he became a beast until God, until he humbled himself before God. All right. And he was the head of, head of gold on that statue. We know from the interpretation for sure that Nebuchadnezzar, down in the green, was, was the head of gold because it said so in the Bible. 
And so down in the black part at the very bottom, I've put, all right, what, that has historically been fulfilled. Okay? Utter sovereignty was given to Nebuchadnezzar. So let's go to Beast 2. Beast 2, we don't see any discussion of the dominion being passed in a heavenly sense. It's just not really mentioned, but there's a whole lot mentioned about it in the symbolic part. So symbolically, this second beast is termed a bear that rises up on one side. Remember, he's not raised on his hind legs. He's raised kind of on one side. Three ribs in his mouth allowed to eat his fill of flesh. The other symbol, symbology that's used for him, he's the chest and arms of the statue in silver. And later, when we get to chapter 8 next week, we're going we're gonna to run into a ram. And this ram says it's a ram with two horns, one longer than the other. The longer horn rose up last, and it budded west, north, and south, and no one could stop it, and he magnified himself. Okay, so when you read this week's lesson, you're going to run into that ram. We know on, that the interpretation, the only interpretation we, have, we were given of that second beast in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 2 where it says it's a kingdom and it's inferior to the first one. Okay. But there are other passages in the Bible in Isaiah that say who that kingdom is. And on your scripture um, references for this week, um, there's a, a whole passage of, related to box 52. Uh, I don't... I can uh, read it to you, but if you, if you just have your Bible and want to turn to it, it's Isaiah 45. And, and, and this is where, in the prophecies, the name of the king that will arise is given. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut, I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you even though you have not known me. That people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. In this passage, he names Cyrus by name says, you have no idea who I am, but I'm the one who's going to make the way for you to have your world empire. But right in the middle, in verse 4, it says why. It says he's doing it for the sake of Jacob, my servant, the Israel one, the, and Israel, my chosen one. Now, how can it be that raising up yet another Gentile king is going to be for the sake of Israel? If you look at what happened in history, what happens is when Cyrus comes to power, he's a very benevolent king as they went back then. He did not destroy the culture of the people that he conquered. And one of the very early things that he did was he allowed a remnant of Jews to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple and the Jerusalem walls. Nehemiah and Ezra were the two um, leaders that he allowed to to go out and escort the Jews and supervise this work. And during this time frame, they did in fact rebuild. In Isaiah 13, verse 17, there is another prophecy referring to, not necessarily to Cyrus by name, I don't think, but to the, that links Babylon with the Medes and the Persians. So it, it puts the timing in there for us. What it says is, Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them, and them in this passage is Babylon, 
who will not value silver nor take pleasure in gold, and their bows will mow down the young men, and they will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So that is a prophecy, before any of this ever happened, that links the Persian kingdom as the, the kingdom that overpowered the Babylonian kingdom. And from that we know for sure, and we will find out in other places, we know for sure that it's the, the second kingdom is the Medo-Persian Empire led by Cyrus. And if you take a look at your timeline... Let's look at your, it's a big, long sheet, looks like this time, this timeline, the one you've carried around for every class. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is the gold in, right in the middle there, okay? The, the kind of yellow-orange, orangey color in the middle is the Medo-Persian Empire. When you look at that empire, you see that it came from when Assyria split between Babylon, Babylon and Medea. You see Medea, that's the Medes, kind of grew in power from 559 B.C., all right? And then ultimately the Persians, they're in there fighting with the Persians back and forth. The Persians win, you know, but there's still a blended kingdom. There's still Medes and Persians. That became the great Persian Empire. Look at the major nations that were taken over by them. Babylon, we know that one for sure. See that arrow going into the Medes, into the Persian Empire? Look down. Lydia, Asia Minor, fell to the Persians. Egypt fell to the Persians. Those were the major chunks of their empire. Those are commonly interpreted as the three ribs that were in the mouth of that bear, that he was given authority to devour. Babylon, Lydia, or Asia Minor, that's another word for it, and Egypt. Medea is, the, they're part of the, you know, the Medes and the Persians are the empire. <laughs> Although some people who, some interpreters who are trying to make this prophecy fit in other ways do say the Medes, but then it's like the bears eating themselves. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? So, so uh, this, this is, and we, and we picked those. I know that this timeline is a digest of what we looked at on the timeline of the world. But when we looked at the timeline of the world, I had you all like visually verify these, these things so that, so that you can trust that. So, th- so we know who that is. They were conquered, um, those, those three kingdoms were conquered over a period of about 40 years. And we found, as we, as we looked in other lessons, that it was an inferior kingdom in the sense that Cyrus was no longer above the law, like Nebuchadnezzar was. Remember that Darius the Mede and Daniel, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, e- even though he wanted to revoke his law, he could not, even though he was king. So then if we look at Beast 3, yep. So you're saying that the bear and the ram are both the same person. Mm-hmm. And the reason it, that I'm, and we'll talk more about the ram next week, but think about the imagery. The ram has two horns. What would the horns be? Medes and Persians. Okay. Those are the kings, right? Horns throughout this sim- symbology have meant kings. Okay. So there's two kings, the Medes and the Persians, one longer than the other. Which one would that be? The Persians. They were more powerful than the Medes. Okay. The longer horn rose up last. Historically, that is true. Okay. And budded west, north, and south, and no one could stop it. This is, you know, the expansion of the of the empire. And if you think about it, he look at the at the ribs. He he budded south to Egypt. North to Asia Minor, okay. West, of course, Palestine is taken over. This is the ram. No, this is the ram. The ram in eight. Yes. We haven't got there, but somebody asked me, and we're we're going to do this next week, you know. And so somebody asked me, and I put it, went ahead and put it on here because when you get there, it's pretty obvious that's what that is, okay. 
I am because, it, because that's the obvious part. It's the other part of eight that's not so obvious. Okay. Ready to look at beast three? <laughs> beast three is described as a leopard with four wings and four heads that was given authority to rule. It's also described as the belly and thighs of the statue, the bronze part of the statue. And you see the word bronze used in association with this kingdom more than once. Next week, that will be the goat. Coming from the west, coming over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, with a conspicuous horn between the eyes. He tramples and shatters the ram, who is the previous kingdom. He's proud. As soon as he became great, the horn was broken and replaced by four horns pointing in different directions. Okay. We, all we know from the interpretation given in the Bible is that this third kingdom is a kingdom that will rule over the whole earth. Okay. But we can look at our timeline and we can see who that is. In our timeline, it's very obvious that the next kingdom is the Greek Empire that covered the whole earth with Hellenistic culture, language, governance. We know that Alexander the Great conquered the world in, one of, in the speediest manner of anybody who's ever done it. He did it in a period of less than five years. He conquered the entire known world. And we also know that he died very young. Okay? He died suddenly. He died like at the age of 33. He led a very dissipated lifestyle. He got sick. He died. And after a period of 20 years of of internal, basically, civil war amongst his generals, four generals arose who ended up governing the world. They're named here. Ptolemy got Egypt. And Palestine, which is where uh, Israel is. Seleucus got Syria, which is the, you know, just north of Palestine in Asia. Then um, Cassander got Greece, the traditional Greek and Macedonian area of the world. And Lysimachus got Asia Minor. So we, we know this is a historical fact. If you take a look at it then, and you look back at these at these symbols you can see the leopard with four wings and four heads it makes sense that the body of the kingdom ended up with four heads right it the belly and thighs of bronze we know it was an inferior kingdom in the sense of of kingly you know wasn't a dynasty anymore they had to take it by force we also know that the if we look at the goat from next week Coming from the west, Greece is where? It's west of all of, this, of, this, of the Persian Empire. Okay. We do know the conspicuous horn between the eyes. Who would that be? Alexander the Great. Who's, who was the great king of this, of this empire? Okay. He's not a little horn. This is one conspicuous horn in the middle of, the, of this uh, goat that we're going to look at next week. He trampled and shattered the ram, the previous kingdom. He was proud. And as soon as he became great, the horn was broken and replaced by four horns pointing in different directions. And this is the directions you see the geographical split of the world by these four generals, which was the very first time in world history where you see the world begin to be divided geographically. And, and, and I believe that's where we see the first east-west divisions. And that's why you see the, the thighs coming out of, that, out of that statue. So then we look at Beast 4. So we you know, really nailed down. I, I don't see any way you could have any doubt on those first three kingdoms. Beast 4, the great, big, powerful beast that crushes everybody, has all those tin horns, all that good stuff that we've, we, we've learned. The information that we added this week is that, that he, this... 11th king that arises out of the fourth kingdom ends up oppressing the saints for three and a half years. Now, one of the interesting things uh, that Dr. Frukenbaum has in his book uh, about this fourth kingdom is we tend to call the fourth kingdom the Roman Empire because that's what we see when we look at our timeline. It's clear that the Roman Empire was the beginning of the fourth kingdom. But we also know that the ten toes haven't happened yet. We know that there have not been ten distinct kingdoms to arise out of that. 
simultaneously ruling and we know the 11th horn hasn't risen up and beat down three of the kings. I mean, it just hasn't happened. We can't see that in history. But what we, and so what we know is that kingdom was different from the others in the sense that it didn't have a rise and a fall that looked like those other kingdoms. Okay, And what Frukenbaum suggests is that we shouldn't necessarily call it the Roman Empire, but we should call it the imperialistic kingdom. And he suggests that to keep us from being blinded and looking for Rome to come back, you know, all right, but to more, make it more generic in the type of kingdom it was. Unlike Cyrus, who was very benevolent, the Romans began the policy of utterly crushing the culture that they took over and replacing it with their own governors, with their own centurions. With You see that throughout the Old Testament. There's just the presence of the governance of Rome. All right? They didn't have vassal kings. <laughs> they had their own guys in there. Okay? And Frukenbaum latches onto that and says that is the characteristic of the fourth kingdom. And I think that's biblical. That's exactly how it's described by Daniel as being the differentiation of this beast is it's crushing and devouring. Okay? And we are still in that imperialistic kingdom, that form of government. Okay? When, when one government takes over another. We still do that today. All right. So we're waiting to see what will happen um, when those ten kings will arise. When the eleventh king comes, the three will be destroyed. So that's where we are. And that's kind of why you see the stopping of the, the, the stuff at the bottom, the filling out of the black part at the bottom of this grid. is because that's as far as history has gone. But, what, but you see... More happening in heaven and on earth that we know will happen in the future. All right. So the part of the really great part about putting it on a grid like this is you can very quickly see and refer back to the things that haven't happened yet. Keep them fresh in your mind so that you can recognize them when they come and when they start to come to pass. That's why we're doing this. That's why Jesus said, study the prophets because, so you will not be led astray. So that you will know. Keep in mind that chapter 7, which we just finished today, is the end of the portion of Daniel that's written in Aramaic. From this point forward, Daniel is written in Hebrew. Now what people, there's a lot of different ways people line up the book of Daniel, but the... General agreement is that the reason this part that we just read is in Aramaic is because it deals with the age of the Gentiles. It's written in the Gentile language because it's about the Gentiles. What we're fixing to start now is the Hebrew part of Daniel. And it appears to be filling in details about what happens to the Jews during this time. And that's the rationale that's given for it being written in Hebrew. I wanted to give you that heads up so that as you read through it, you can make your own decision as to whether you think that's the correct interpretation.